Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to the difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor David Butcher, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia, We're broadcasting from the beautiful city of Adelaide, and we're glad that you're able to join us so that we can share with you. This week, we're taking as our theme, the Bible, the church, and the environment. And today, we're asking the all-important question, is Laudato Sea a positive contribution to the environmental discussion? And some of you might say, well, what is Laudato Sea? Well, you'll find out. But our co-host today is Pastor Gary. He normally sits where I'm sitting. He's normally speaking right now. But Gary is our co-host. He's the coordinator of the big Q&A drive time program. And he's also the pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Welcome, Gary. Yeah, David, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. It's lovely to be able to sit into this seat today because uh, I find it incredibly relaxing. Uh, you can worry about all the, all the technology and all the hitches. And uh, I can uh, sit here and uh, and open the word. Uh, really appreciate being able to, to sit and just share with you today. And look, Gary, you certainly look far more relaxed than myself. If um, I almost feel like we're beside a pool and you're in the, the banana lounge laying right back. You are so relaxed. Well, thank you, David. I, 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 I do enjoy doing what I'm doing and uh, uh, it is such an incredible blessing just being able to speak to our listeners. We, we have got a wonderful uh, group of uh, group of listeners, uh, uh, people that make contact with us from time to time. Uh, you know, they are, they're a real treasure. They really are, Gary. And and look, one of the things that as Christians that I really value is the ability to read God's Word and spend time with God. Gary, um, you're a busy man. You're also a committed Christian and a pastor. What have you been reading from God's Word lately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, David, I... Um I, I've actually made a commitment so that at the beginning of every year, I actually make a, uh, make a plan for the upcoming 12 months. And, uh, certainly one of the things I've been trying to do in uh, probably the last decade or so is to every second year uh, to actually read through, uh, God's Word. That's the, the Bible from, from Genesis to, to Revelation as part of my devotional time. Uh, on the other years, uh, I try to read other material along with, uh, the Bible, but I like to be a little bit more intentional a bit more uh, in depth and uh, this is uh, one of the years where I'm actually reading through the through the scriptures and uh, right now I've, I've just come up to uh, to the book of Acts I'm in about Acts 6 at the present time with the selection of the, of the deacons and to me the thing that really stands out to me is the way the New Testament church really struggled with with issues it wasn't you know it wasn't pure it wasn't it, it didn't it wasn't devoid of issues uh, and yet these people were able uh, to to select uh, leaders that became became deacons, they functioned under the apostles, uh, and yet uh, these people became preachers, teachers. Uh, they were healing, uh, using gifts of healing. Uh, they were evangelists. Uh, do you know, as I look at the way the Lord used the church in the early New Testament, I say, hey, uh, you know, this is this is God inspired stuff. So this is a church that uh, is experiencing rapid growth that also uh, it is also coupled with growing pains and we see numerous instances in acts don't we where there is trigger points and, and um flashpoints and issues that need to be worked through but they get through them they do they do 
they do and and that's the thing that I think is just so uh, so key you know by working they're working under the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is actually superintending all that is actually occurring and he raises up leaders at the right and the proper time and I love the way you know continually in my ministry I've seen the Lord raise up raise up leaders at exactly the right time in order to be able to uh, to do a particular purpose in his work so there are problems within the church but also in the book of Acts we discover there are problems that come from outside the church and impact the church and this relates to the world in which we're living today doesn't it there, there are problems but there's also a power source exactly and, and to me that I think is the really beautiful thing that the book of Acts really uh, demonstrates probably uh, Acts together with the gospel of Luke uh, probably I put the two together because they're written by Luke and uh, uh, to me my favorite books are probably Luke followed by Acts. The two, I put them together because they're actually presented in such a a systematic, such a logical um, manner. And I do appreciate that. Look, it's powerful. And and what I really value, and I think as Christians, we should all consider today uh, some of the key things there. It's all about waiting and being filled and requesting and praying for the yeah. the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all about prayer. Mm. When the Christians encountered problems, they weren't full of fear. They went to their knees. Yeah. They asked for the Holy Spirit. They rejoiced. Indeed. So the early church triumphed, didn't it? And, but, and God's church today will also ultimately triumph. And to me, I think that's the wonderful promise that we actually find in there because the way the Holy Spirit worked then He continues to work today through the lives of individuals. Thanks, Gary. Um, Look, let's go to our World Watch uh, segment. And I've pulled off an interesting article off the ABC uh, website, the Australian ABC website. It's called, How Should Christians Respond to the Victorian Government's Hostility to Religious Faith? It was uh, posted on Friday the 5th of November 2021, and its author is Professor Patrick Parkinson, and he's an incredibly gifted and talented writer. And whenever I come across his writings, I always like to, the things he's written, I always like to read them because they're powerful. They are. So, Gary, we're going to pull out a number of things, and if, if readers want to access the full uh, article, it's uh, found on the ABC website, How Should Christians Respond to the Victorian Government's Hostility to Religious Faith? This doesn't just threaten people that are in Victoria, and we want to welcome our listeners in Victoria, but ultimately these sorts of things impinging on Christian faith will probably become widespread across the country. So, Gary, let me pull out some of it, and then we'll get some feedback from you. Professor Patrick Parkinson begins. He says, There is widespread concern among religious leaders and others about the Victorian government's legislative program on matters of religious faith. It is increasingly difficult to interpret the government's track record in any other way except as motivated by hostility to people who hold strong religious beliefs, not just hostility to conservative Christians, but to Orthodox Jews and Muslims as well, Why it thinks this is to its electoral advantage is unclear. And then he says there are two pieces of legislation this year that illustrate the seriousness of the problems in Victoria. The first one, he says, is the conversion therapy legislation. Now, this was introduced uh, and passed in February, passed in February of this year, but it comes into effect in February 2022. And he says, early in the year, the Victorian government quickly pushed through the Change or Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Act without any public hearings on the bill. 
This legislation is not just directed at people of faith, it also has psychiatrists and psychologists in its sights. While the law doesn't necessarily target Christians, it is explicit about referencing a prayer-based practice as one of the prohibited practices. People of faith are threatened with jail, listen to this, for praying with someone about an unwanted same-sex attraction or distress about their inner sense of gender identity. He says it is no defense that the person concerned might have wanted or sought that help. The legislation makes clear that it applies to a practice or conduct directed towards a person whether with or without the person's consent. So in other words, Gary, if the person comes and says, look, I'm unsure about the feelings I have about my gender and how I feel, if you as a Christian offer to pray for them, you are in prohibition of this act. Mm, no, this 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 is really, David. This is this is offensive, quite frankly. This uh, this type of legislation I, I find incredibly offensive. You know, to what to me, I, I'm so conscious that at uh, uh, at many times in a uh, in an individual's life, uh, there are uh, there are times when we've got to got to recognise that governments do have legitimate authority, but their authority itself. Is actually limited, and uh, on this particular case, what we've got is a um, is a situation where the law of the land is actually saying uh, we don't want you to do something, but the scriptures are very clear: you can and should and must do. Uh, to me, uh, this is one of those occasions when uh, I, I believe. Well, firstly, it needs to be challenged legally. Number one, uh, but number two, um, Christians uh, need not be offended at this particular legislation. I believe they need to do exactly what Daniel did and pray as is needed. Absolutely. Gary, let me continue. He says the legislation is so widely drafted that praying with a heterosexual young man who wants to remain faithful to Christian teaching concerning sex before marriage could be unlawful if it is interpreted as prayer to suppress his sexual orientation. This is because the definition of sexual orientation is taken from the Equal Opportunity Act 2010 and includes heterosexuality. So if you are giving marriage counselling as a minister of religion or even as a parent per se, and you are telling your child or as a minister you're giving marriage counselling, say, listen, the biblical perspective um, is not uh, does not condone sex outside of marriage, um, you could be found charged here under yeah. the legislation. Yeah. He says um, that the Victorian legislation is wide in its reach, it is not as restrictive as, as the Queensland legislation. He says the Victorian legis legislation is vague, uh, and essentially he says that the legislation seems to be designed to be weaponized. It gives considerable new enforcement powers to a government agency to investigate potential wrongdoing and to impose restrictions on individuals or organizations that the agency considers to have acted unlawfully. That agency is entrusted with a large amount of discretion about how to interpret and enforce the law, and the legislation permits certain departures from the requirements of natural justice or procedural fairness, as it otherwise is known. He then goes on, Gary, and he points out the second piece of legislation, which he says is again 
aimed and focused at faith-based organisations. And this is one over employment rights. Mm. A few days ago, he says, the Victorian government introduced a bill proposing changes to Victoria's Equal Opportunity Act that will strike at the heart of the right of religious bodies, not just Christian schools, to maintain their identity and ethos. The Catholic Archbishop of Melbourne has described it as one more unneeded attack by the government upon people of faith in Victoria. The amendments, if passed, will deprive religious bodies of the right to select or prefer to select staff who adhere to the religious beliefs of the organisation or to take disciplinary action against a staff member who infringes the moral values of the organisation, subject to limited exceptions, such as the appointment of ministers of religion. Unless those exceptions apply, religious bodies will only be able to discriminate in employment on the basis of someone's religious belief or lack thereof. If a tribunal or court accepts that holding a religious belief is an inherent requirement of the position and that the discrimination is reasonable and proportionate. All other exemptions currently given to religious bodies so far as they relate to employment will be removed by this legislation, including exemptions to do with discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, marital status or lawful sexual activity. He then gives an example of uh, what this could look like. He says uh, a Christian school, as an example, employs a middle-aged male history teacher. It is required by the school's code of conduct that all staff members in the school will not only hold Christian beliefs, but seek to live in a way that accords with those beliefs, including in relation to sexual matters. It is discovered that he has a very active sex life outside of his working context. Evidence emerges that he regularly engages in short-term sexual relationships with vulnerable young women. In all cases, so far as is known, the sex is consensual. Word has got out about his behaviour. Both parents and staff are unhappy for him to continue in his role because of the bad example he is setting, particularly to young males in the school. The staff member maintains that he continues to be an evangelical Christian and defends his behaviour by blaming it on a sex addiction. Now, under the Victoria's uh, proposed new laws, the organisation could not dismiss him because he makes a habit of sleeping around. That is lawful sexual activity in Victoria. Under the legislation, the Christian school is not permitted to discriminate against him on that basis. And so this, Gary, is, is the challenge that uh, faith-based organisations, and in this occasion a faith-based school, could really be faced with. He says, this is not only legislation aimed at Christians. The state government of Victoria is no more respectful of its Jewish and Islamic communities than it is of its large Christian communities. This is in reality an attack on pluralism and multiculturalism. The Victorian government is opposed to allowing religious groups to hold a different moral position to it on issues about sex and family life. So, Gary, he, um, he goes on and he talks about a number of different things that uh, faith-based organisations, or more explicitly, that Christians, how they can respond. So, Gary, I know time is, is getting away, but maybe if you can share with us uh, a couple of the things that he says, that ways in which Christians can respond. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, I think this is really important, David. Uh, I think there are a number of issues, and, and um, Professor Parkinson certainly makes uh, these uh, these particular points. But if I can just elaborate on a couple of them, firstly, he points out that we should not fear. The enemies of faith would win if we did that. The whole purpose of Victoria's conversion therapy law, for example, seems to be uh, creating an absolutely chilling effect amongst the Christian community. Uh, to me, I think it's very important that on this one we uh, be. Prepared to respond to it, but not be afraid of it, because these are issues that the Christian Church has had to deal with right through the ages. We've actually been living in an exceptional time right now, where we haven't had to deal with many of these issues. Certainly, for many many centuries, Christians have had to deal with these issues. Secondly, we need to ensure that people are better able to rely on the defences and exceptions which actually remain within the law, and to take measures to reduce the uh, the chance of a successful complaint. Uh, you know, David, I'm just so conscious that this is vitally important. Uh, one of the things that uh, I, I'm totally convinced about is that uh, as uh, as believers and particularly as faith organisations, uh, we need to be challenging legally uh, some of these issues. I'm so conscious that governments... Um, are certainly uh, responsible uh, to uh, to the people and the people are able to vote for them at the ballot box. But I'm also conscious that uh, governments are also uh, covered by things like, for example, they're covered by constitution. Yeah, that, and, and human rights laws. And, and human rights law. Human rights laws is a really big one. These are th- laws which they have signed up to. And it's not until these uh, laws are actually challenged in a court of law under some of the human right, rights legislation that we've actually got an ability uh, to be able to see whether these laws are actually valid. Uh, and to me, uh, I would suggest that uh, this is the time for uh, Christian legal people and Christian organisations to be employing um, legal firms to be able to challenge some of this legislation at the highest possible level. And he actually says in this document that there sometimes with the ambiguity and the broad-ranging uh, nature of, of this suppression law that's come through, a conversion law, that some of the ambiguity might actually uh, mean that it is hard to press charges. And indeed, but clearly, what you've said is true, and he says the same thing: that we need to be prepared to to answer these charges if they should come with test cases, uh, because we need to stand up for for biblical principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would actually go go so far to to say that those test cases will come sooner rather than later, and rather responding by fear and accepting and a, and just a, a simple acceptance that this is government, therefore we have to follow. Uh, to me, we're actually living within the the constraints of a of a democracy, and under those constraints, we do have the ability to. There are checks and balances, and it's at this time that we need. I would suggest to actually. Use utilize those checks and balances. Absolutely. And so there are a number of other things he says here, doesn't he? We need to obey God rather than man. And I guess when you cannot pray, and I think you touched on this, when we cannot pray for someone that asks for it even, when we cannot share what the Bible says about premarital sex um, or or even with heterosexual uh, premarital sex or what the Bible says about homosexuality, when we can't share that in a loving Christian way, 
that's when we really have to stand up for what the Bible teaches. Indeed, indeed. And and, and at that point, God's law use goes above human law. And to, to me, I think it will be a challenge. You know, To what extent is the government prepared to put uh, Christian pastors uh, in, uh, in, the, uh, in the local lockup? I mean, to me, this, uh, this to me, if ever you want to divide society, this is exactly the way to do it. And I think, Gary, one of the final things he says there is that, as you said, um, government leaders uh, at whatever level are basically also answerable to the people, aren't they? They are. And this is where I'd say, David, I would really, I've really encouraged people, and certainly it's only been the last one or two elections that I've bothered and to actually go to the point of, of finding out what my uh, local uh, person who is standing for parliament actually believes. Uh, because I, I'm so conscious that we're actually being put into a, a, a parliamentary system uh, that is run by parties, but I suggest that almost our parties have actually been hijacked of all persuasion uh, and uh, uh, to me I'm far more interested today in knowing what the individual party member believes than knowing what the uh, particular than voting for a particular uh, party and uh, I, I'm encouraging people I'm saying look please you know go and find out what your uh, uh, the, the the person you're going to vote for? What does that person believe? And if they don't, and if they don't tell you, in all probability, there's a reason for that. And it's important to ask them, particularly if they belong to a party, what their party's policies are prior to an election, exactly. and ask for them in writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look, this puts pressure on our political leaders and it's really important for so long, certainly the, uh, can, can I say, those who have tended towards the left have tended to be uh, taking control of the uh, religious establishment. I do believe that there is actually a, a legitimate place for a Christian people to have a say in a democratic society as to how uh, our, our society is actually run. These are our government representatives. So we have every right to, to ask them what they stand for. Exactly, exactly. And not to get the political speak, but to get their actual policy on certain topics. Exactly, exactly. Look, Gary, this is, a, is an incredible article. It's Patrick Parkinson. He is the Professor of Law at the University of Queensland and Chair of Freedom for Faith. And again, the article can be found on the ABC News website, How Should Christians Respond to the Victorian Government's Hostility? to religious faith. And this could come uh, to all of us in whatever part of Australia we live in. Uh, as Christians, we need to understand how um, the Christian message, what the Bible teaches, and even other faith-based groups, how that is being squeezed out yeah. of the public yeah. square. Yep. Gary, let's go to some music. Let's uh, listen to Matt Minicus and Josie Minicus deliver us. Our enemy, our captor, is no pharaoh on the Nile Our toil is neither mud, nor brick, nor sand Our ankles bear no calluses, from chains yet, Lord, we're bound Present here we dwell in our own land. Deliver us, deliver us, oh Yahweh, hear our cry. 
And gather us beneath your wings tonight Our sins, they are more numerous Than all the lambs we slay Our shackles, they were made with our own And our freedom yours to give So Yahweh break this silence If you can Deliver us, deliver us Oh Yahweh hear our cry And gather us beneath your wings tonight Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor David. Today our co-host is Pastor Gary. Gary is the coordinator of our Drive Time program, Big Q&A. It's great to see you, Gary, and you're the pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, we've got an incredible topic today, but before we get there, we have a free giveaway book, and the giveaway book is called Hope for a Helpless Planet. Hope for a Helpless Planet. It's written by Chris Holland. And if you'd like to get today's offer, all you need to do is to text the code word SA24 to 04888-80811. And the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply by asking for your details. So text the code word SA24. That's the letters SA, as in South Australia, and the number 24, SA24 to 0488 This is an incredible book. We're living in a world of turmoil and crisis, and um, the author, Chris Holland, really points us to the hope of the second coming. But this afternoon, our topic, and our topic this week has been the Bible, the church, and the environment. But today, our question is, is Laudato Sire positive contribution to the environmental discussion. Now, this particular discussion today is based around Pope Francis's encyclical letter. Um, it, in, literally in English, it means on care for our common home, the planet. And uh, according to the, the PDF document on the net, it, it extends to about 180 pages, Gary. It's a long one. I'm glad you love reading. But Gary, what is Laudato Sire? 
Yeah, no, thank you so much for that, David. Uh, yeah, no, look, this is, uh, uh, the, this is certainly, uh, the, the Pope's encyclical that uh, was actually released back in the 18th of, of June 2015. And, uh, it was addressing the environmental challenges that are facing the world as well as issues like persistent poverty. What he actually did, David, was, uh, he actually wove the two themes together, um, as aspects of the same spiritual illness that's facing uh, our world our world today and uh, as you rightly said this is a, a huge document it depends how you print it out but it goes to um, certainly uh, 70 closely type pages or about 180 if you type it as a if you have it as a PDF uh, it covers a number of, of significant chapters you know chapter one talks about what is happening and addresses the question of what is happening uh, to a planet earth uh, out the second chapter uh, the gospel of creation, and that makes actually some really interesting reading. This is a this is a well written document. Uh, uh, chapter three: uh, the human roots of the ecological crisis. Chapter four goes into uh, integral ecology. Uh, chapter five: uh, how do we? What action uh, should we put in place? And then chapter six is a really interesting one because it speaks of ecological education and the issue of. Spirituality, and uh, you know, as I as I looked at this particular document, I sort of thought, "Wow, uh, he, he covers so much ground and links together so many issues that uh, many of which are not." Would not normally be regarded as ecology. Now we have to move fairly, uh, fairly quickly today. Uh, but one of the things that I'm, uh, I'm really conscious of is just some of the things that I suppose bounced out uh, at me. Um, it, the, the document starts uh, by summarising the major environmental challenges uh, as defined by science. It explores the deeper causes uh, of uh, inner material materialistic society. Now, I found this uh, incredibly significant, really a very, very important, uh, because uh, he makes a point very early in the document uh, that it is a materialistic society, and he, he says short-term, selfish interests bent on profit without regard for the needs of the poor uh, or the environment that are in, in fact causing the issues that we are facing. Now, of course, we know the issue is actually far bigger than that because uh, yesterday we did actually talk about the issue of uh, the increasing population on planet Earth. How when, when I was born, there was um, certainly about 2.7 uh, million people, whereas today there's about 7.9 million people. Bill, we billion, looked, billion. Uh, billion, billion. Billion. Oh, billion. Am I saying million? Billion. Billion, uh, billion yeah. people on our planet. And we we pointed out that that's actually making huge impact on the resources of our, of our planet. But his, his comment here I found to be incredibly insightful because what we're trying to look at here is, and what he's trying to look at, is the issue of the root causes. And he says, the deeper causes are in a materialistic society of short-term selfish interests bent on profit without regard for the needs of the poor or of the environment itself. Now, David, I'm really interested in this. Do you... I mean, I mean, how do you feel about this? Uh, do you think materialism is a root of 
the environmental issues. I mean, could that be could that be suggested correctly? Yeah, I do. I agree with it. I think at the bottom of materialism, though, is something even greater, the cause of materialism, and I guess we'll get on to that. But, um, yeah, look, I, I, a couple of texts stand out, stand out to me. First John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father but is from the world. Yeah. So... Human nature um, is to store things up. In fact, Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up those treasures in heaven. So, yes, human nature, because of sin, is one that is um, self-seeking, self-centered, and climbing over anyone and anyone else And this achieve. is the thing that we have to get to in, in just a moment because, you know, I, I'm so conscious that this issue of materialism is something that I've probably only noticed and come to my attention, certainly in, in more recent years. But, uh, you know, I, I'm conscious of the throw-out society that we've actually uh, constructed today. Uh, the You know, I'm thinking of even the size of our houses. Uh, you know, when I, I well remember the house I grew up in in the western suburbs of Sydney. Uh, way back in the early 19, 1970s. And uh, in those days, we we lived in a weatherboard. Mum, dad and, and two, two children lived in a, a weatherboard home. There was a uh, uh, there was three bedrooms in, in that home. There was certainly no study. Um, you did your study on the dining room table uh, of an evening. Uh, you had uh, one bathroom, certainly no, no en-suite, no uh, and an outside toilet. And you sort of looked at all of this and you sort of say, hey, you know, this was fairly basic. Uh, it, it was a weatherboard home. Uh, you know, it was fairly, by today's standards, we would have said, hey, you know, that really, let's, let's knock it down. That's exactly what the people who bought the home actually did do. Knock the home down. And, uh, right now there's a glorious, uh, two, uh, two story, uh, brick, uh, brick home uh, sitting, but it's certainly taken far more resources than was the case with my mum and dad's home way back in the 1970s. There was a time when garages for, were for cars, not for storage of all these material possessions, correct? It, it is. That's very true. In fact, I, I well remember the day that my father finally saved up enough to actually construct a uh, a garage at our, on our family, family block uh, there in the, the western suburbs of, uh, of Sydney because our home didn't actually have uh, a garage for a good many years. But when we got it, it was for putting a car in, mm. one car, uh, and never more than, than one car. Um, that was um, uh, materialism. I think it's great. It's, it's, uh, 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 is certainly very correct when it links materialism and the environment of our of our current world with um, much of the environmental damage that is actually impacting on our on our planet. Now, if you keep moving um, through through this particular doc, uh, document, it starts to do a little bit of a critique uh, about uh, about these these values that our society is holding right now. And uh, one of the things again that is significant, and yet I think we need to dig deeper on is this statement. We should be particularly indignant at the enormous inequalities in the, in our midst, whereby we continue to tolerate some considering themselves more worthy than others. We fail to see that some are mired in desperate and degrading 
poverty with no way out, while others have not the faintest idea of what to do with all that they possess, vainly showing off their supposed superiority and leaving behind them so much waste, which, if it were the case everywhere, would destroy the planet. In practice, we continue to tolerate that some consider themselves more human than others and if they had been as if they had been born with greater rights. Now, is that true too? It is, absolutely. We live in a world of complete inequality, don't we? And and Gary, it takes me to the book of Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. And I know we've used this verse numerous times, but it's so true. It's the yeah. heart condition. It, and Jeremiah there, the Lord through Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And, and I think that passage that you read there, David, is actually so important. It's so key because what it's doing is it's talking about the human condition. You know, one of the real challenges that I've sort of picked up with uh, with this particular document is that it tends to major on systemic issues more than the heart issues. Now, on one or two occasions, the heart issue is actually mentioned, but it's how do I deal with that issue? You know, David, I'm, increasingly I'm conscious that changing the environment without Changing first the human heart is virtually an impossibility. It's really like painting over the facade of a house when inside the termites have eaten the frame away. Uh, That's exactly right. In fact, I I think of one passage of scripture uh, where uh, in Luke, uh, in Luke chapter chapter twelve, you get this story of the uh, the rich fool and uh, uh, and one from the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." But he said to him, "Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you?" And he said to them, "Take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that he possesses." Now that's a key statement. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, "This the ground." of a certain rich man yielded plentifully uh, and he thought within himself saying what will I do since I have no room more to store my crops Uh, then he said I will do this I'll pull down my barns I'll build bigger better greater I will store up all my crops and my goods I'll put money in the bank and I will say to my soul soul you've got many goods laid up for many years take your ease eat drink and be merry but God said fool tonight your soul's going to be required of you you know David as I read that here I see a man who is making a huge increased demands on his environment. His problem is actually his heart. And you know, David, the thing I'm, I, I'm so conscious of is that until the human heart can be changed, I don't believe it's possible to solve our environmental crisis. Because we're not looking to heaven, we're looking to earth. And that verse that you said was really critical for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. How current is that today? Oh, look, that, that, that is actually just, uh, to me, this is heart and core of the whole environmental discussion because I'm just so conscious that environmentally we are hearing a lot of political solutions to an enormous problem. And I accept that it's a, it is a problem there, but the solutions that are being suggested are all political in their very nature. And yet it's only when something happens to the individual person that all of a sudden we're actually able to see people who are considerate of each other, considerate of the environment, considerate of their boss, and all of a sudden a change starts to take place. Scripture actually tells us how that change can actually take place. 
Absolutely. And look, just even thinking of the Ten Commandments, we've got the commandment not to covet. Yeah. God knew that uh, human nature uh, would go down this track. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this statement here in Lodato's day is actually so powerful, but it doesn't go far enough to me, uh, in, uh, in what it's actually uh, saying there. I think that, I think you're correct in pointing to that last commandment, thou shalt not covet. Uh, do you know, what is that uh, saying to those of us here who live, live in Oz today, uh, live in one of the richest parts of the world? In this part of the world, we, we have have got so much that the majority of the world we are in the top five percent of uh, world uh, of the world as far as wealth is actually concerned uh, to me that's a, that's a huge challenge uh, to me as a christian pastor and yet our desire for more is insatiable yes. uh, we always want the newest and the greatest and god knew that this would lead to problems indeed indeed Okay, let's come to um, uh, come to our next uh, our next uh, statement because we need to come to what some of the solutions uh, actually actually are. And uh, I uh, I love it. We start to move into this issue of, of solutions, and this is one statement that really jumped out at me. Doomsday predictions can no longer be met with irony or disdain. We may well be leaving to coming generations debris, desolation, and filth. The pace of consumption, waste, and environmental change has so stretched the planet's capacity that our contemporary lifestyle, unsustainable as it is, can only precipitate catastrophes such as those which even now periodically occur in different areas of the world. The effects of the present imbalance can only be uh, reduced by our decisive action uh, here and now. We need to reflect on our accountability uh, before those who will have to endure the dire consequences. Now, Dave, to me, there is so much in, in this particular statement because what we've got here is, uh, is an issue, firstly, that, uh, uh, we, we need to have environmental action in order to prepare the earth for future generations. Now, to me, I believe in caring for our earth. But do you know, David, to me, the scriptures say something that is incredibly powerful about the future of this earth. And, to me, as I read the scriptures, the future of planet Earth is actually tied up with God's activity, not man's activity. Does that, does that make sense? Look, it does, absolutely. Uh, on the one hand, God puts us on the planet to be stewards, mm-hmm. to care, to protect, to have dominion, if you like. But human nature and sin has, has meant that we've ravaged the Earth but on the other hand, we still need to provide care for the planet for the future of other generations. But ultimately, God is bringing in a new future. Yeah. And, and let's not lose sight of that. And this is something that I think we need to recognize. You know, so many times I hear in environmental discussions that we need to pre- prepare our earth for generations and generations and generations to come. Do you know, I believe uh, that we need to care for our earth. But do you know, I do believe also that the scriptures are very clear that the earth is going to come to a climax. That climax is going to come as a result of God's activity, not man's. The other thing I would say also is that this, this statement assumes that humanity has the capacity 
uh, to be able to change its environment. You know, David, the thing that to me, it really stands out to me is that I am conscious that without the human heart being changed so that people become generous people, so that there is a, there is a change in the way they think, it's actually not possible to actually see a change in the environment. That's very true, Gary. That's very true. Gary, let's go to some music. Um, let's hear from Ginny Owens, How Can I Keep From Singing? Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor David and also Pastor Gary. He's the coordinator of the big Q&A program, the Drive Time program, and the pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. This afternoon, we're looking at the Bible, the church, and the environment. But before we get back to you, Gary, let's promote again our free giveaway book. It's called Hope for a Helpless Planet by Chris Holland. And it is a book that 
I think what you were just talking about before, Gary, it really emphasizing the hope and the certainty that we have amidst a world in crisis, a world that has challenges materialistically, environmentally, problems of politics and war, etc. But he reminds us that we have the hope in Jesus' second coming. And ultimately, that's, that's what we're all waiting for as believers, correct? Indeed. So you can access this free book. You can get the free giveaway by texting the code word SA24 to 04888. Eight zero eight double one. The Faith FM giveaway bot will reply by asking for your details. So send us a text message with the code word SA24. That's the letters SA for South Australia and the numerals 2424, SA24, and text us on 04888-80811 and get this incredible book, Hope for a Helpless Planet by Chris Holland. So this afternoon we're looking at Is Laudato Si? This is a Pope Francis's encyclical on the environment and the planet. Does it make a positive contribution to the environmental discussion? Gary, you've outlined a number of things. Where are we headed next? Yeah, David, look, I, I think uh, certainly for me, in answer to that particular question, there are certainly some uh, positive statements uh, within this particular uh, document. To me, the huge challenge, however, uh, come, comes up with this issue, uh, re- and it's a repetitive issue, and that's the issue of the human heart. Uh, you know, David, as uh, just to pick up where we were uh, before, before the before the break, you know, I, I'm conscious of how many times in Scripture we actually have a rendition or a reference given for the human heart. Now, I think of, for example, Second Timothy uh, chapter chapter three. It's actually referring to our time. They're talking about a, what's called our time. The last days. Uh, but know this that in the last days. Now, to me, I think it's really significant here that Paul actually speaks of this time. That would be a final time. Uh, Earth is actually working its way gradually to a climax. Paul believed it. Christ preached it. uh, Peter taught it. And uh, this is something that is just repetitious throughout Scripture. And again, the those that are looking for a world full of peace and perfection miss this point. They do miss it, and it's because it's not going to happen. You know, preparing the earth for generations to come. Yes, we need to care for our for our earth now, but preparing it for generations to come is actually uh, fraught with uh, incredible danger. In fact, I think it is actually fraught with doing the the impossible. And, you know, just consider what Paul says about the last days. But know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come. He's talking about our time. Uh, for men will be lovers of themselves. Now, look, if I'm a lover of myself. What? Who do I actually want to care for? Myself. You and you alone. Me and me alone. Maybe my family, but no more than that. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Oh, hang on. If I can make a profit out of uh, uh, rifling through the, the environment, what will I do? I'll rifle through the environment. For men will be lovers of themselves, uh, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, uh, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haunty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Do you know, this I believe is actually God's reference for humanity 
in our generation. Now, if I wrote this sort of a reference, and I'm a, I'm a pastor who's called on constantly to write references for people, if I wrote this sort of reference for someone, would you employ them? No, I wouldn't. And I guess I've never heard of these traits given at a funeral with, uh, you know, obituary. Uh, exactly, exactly, because you don't say this sort of this sort of stuff. I mean, and yet the Apostle Paul is actually saying it. More significantly, would you trust somebody who's got this sort of reference to actually uh, improve our earth? You wouldn't touch them, would you? And, and yet, this is what we're all in ch- being told we can do. And that, and in that point, David, you actually have the major problem with the whole environmental movement. Uh, you know, I, I suggest to you, the aims may be lofty and worthy, but they're actually also impossible because they fail to address the issue of the uh, of the human heart. So what is the solution? Now, I'm really conscious that our time is starting to run away from us, and so we've got to come to the, to the solution. Now, again, uh, Laudato Se makes a really interesting statement, and it's really worth us, us reading. And the problem, the problem, however, is how is this to be achieved? Now, this is a, a statement that, that comes from Laudato Se. Um, a disinterested concern for others and the rejection of every form of self-centeredness and self-absorption are essential if we are to truly wish to care for our brothers and sisters and for the natural environment. These attitudes also attune us to the moral imperative of attesting to the impact of every action and personal decision in the world around us. If we can overcome individualism, we will truly be able to develop an alternative lifestyle and bring about significant changes in society if we can overcome individualism. There's no God in this. In this, I know this is only a statement from the article, but if we can overcome individualism. If we can. In other words, the power source is somehow within, within humanity. Has this ever been achieved by humans? I don't think so. In what era? Exactly. That, that to me is, is a really significant and important question. And to me, I've got to ask, you know, is this a worthy objective? Well, yes, it actually is. But what it doesn't answer is how this is to be achieved. Now, you know, to me, the thing that I really appreciate with the, with the scriptures is that if you come, for example, to, to John chapter three, uh, and this, of course, is the story of uh, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He makes an amazing statement to Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, you're a religious leader, but you must be born again. You know, that statement is one that is actually allows Nicodemus to reflect on the condition of his own heart. It's when, I love um, Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Uh, when, when that occurs, when I am thinking with the mind of Christ, when I've been born again, when the Holy Spirit is flowing through me, hey, I start to consider the needs and the, the concerns of others outside of myself. Uh, to me, I look at that and I say, hey, that's incredibly powerful. That is something that I want for my world. That's something that I, I want to be able to share. But can I change the environment with my old human heart? So, Gary, I just want to ask you a question off the cuff. And uh, you, might nail, a hard one. You, a might, you might nail me later. Um, how does, uh, depends if there's self-interest, right? <laughs> how does a Christian then, because I agree with everything you're saying, it's the change of the human heart being born again. How does a Christian, what difference can a Christian make in a world that is self-centered, if you like, with the environment? 
Oh, look, I, I think, David, that this that's a really key and important, important question. Uh, to me, I think it challenges us, uh, particularly, in, I mean, for example, the style of house that we buy. Uh, do we actually need uh, the house that has actually got, uh, you know, uh, three stories and an elevator? And, you know, what size house do we actually need? Is a more modest house more appropriate? Uh, to me, the story of uh, the rich fool, as he's come to be known, who built bigger barns has really been questioned. Uh, do I do I need to work uh, in order to uh, build up my resources? You know, in the country that we've got today, uh, you know, our our objective is to become uh, so wealthy that I can uh, give up work. Uh, whereas within the scriptures, uh, there's actually uh, there's a thing called called modesty. And modesty isn't just in dress. Modesty is also in the uh, the environment in which I in which I the way in which we live. You know, to me, David, I look at you know even even simple things like like saying, "Hey, look, you know, can I can I recycle?" I mean, I know this isn't a, isn't a, a regarded as a, a major point by, by many people, but, uh, you know, to challenge some of the, some of the, the, the understandings of my society. I, I well remember when, um, um, uh, and I think I, I mentioned this uh, last time we were together. I well remember when I was a, a young person growing up in, in suburban Sydney there, we had a, a person called the Milko. Uh, the Milko would come 5 a.m. every single morning. You'd put out on your, uh, out in the front uh, doorstep, you'd put uh, two or three bottles. Uh, they'd be empty bottles that you'd carefully washed up the uh, the, the night before uh, for milk, and uh, the milk would come down the street. He would uh, he would take away your empty bottles, replace them with full bottles, and uh, and lo and behold, you had your milk uh, for the day. But you know, David, that was wonderful recycling. You know, there is so much in our society that I believe as Christians we can actually contribute to having a better world, and I think the onus is on us to actually do that. And churches and organizations as well. But but ultimately, though, we're saying that there is a role for us to do as Christians because we should be setting a standard. We should be setting this is, this is what God's entrusted us with. We've got to remember our home is in heaven, not on earth, so to speak. But ultimately, this world is coming to a conclusion. Yeah. It's coming to a climax. And that climax is not positive from an earthly perspective. It's one of degradation and, and the world falling apart, but it's positive from a Christian perspective in that Jesus is coming back full We're of We're going hope. to have the world is going to be recreated. The final say is going to be by Jesus Christ himself, not by humanity. I would like to think that there is something within humanity that's going to be able to resurrect our society. I would like to think that that was possible. But the scripture makes it a abundantly clear to me that that is not possible. The human heart doesn't allow that. So therefore, God is actually going to intervene on humanity's behalf. He is the one that's going to have the final say in this whole issue. That's very true, Gary. And just looking at that quote that you read again, if we can overcome individualism, we'd truly be able to develop an alternative lifestyle. If we could overcome, truly overcome individualism, we'd be able to overcome sin in and of ourselves because that's at the centre. And that is the one thing that we cannot... That is why we need a saviour. That's what the scripture is talking about. You must be born again, he said to that religious leader Nicodemus. You must have a change in heart. Then when you've changed your heart, you'll change the way you think about other people, about the environment, about your possessions, about all that exists on this planet. So Gary, ultimately, 
truly sustainable environmentalism cannot be separated from a Christian ethos of human nature and human condition. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's not until you understand the human condition that you're actually in a position to be able to talk about uh, the issue of the environment. Gary, I'm wondering if you'd be able to pray for our listeners. I'd love to. Father in heaven, Lord, come to you right now. I want to say thank you uh, for giving us this wonderful world. Lord, thank you for being the creator. Thank you for being the uh, almighty God who sustains. Uh, thank you for being the uh, uh, the saviour. Thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just want to pray right now that you'd make us better stewards of this world. But Lord, also, I pray that you might come into our hearts. Uh, Lord, uh, that you might change our hearts, that indeed uh, we may be able to serve you fully. Lord, we just ask. We pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for joining Pastor David and Pastor Gary on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please come again and join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh spend the entire time discussing COP26, Is There a Better Way? Is There a Better Way? We'd love you to join us then, but we really look forward to seeing you and and hearing from you and joining in tomorrow. But until then, please remember what Christ said. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid.